Well, hello, David. Hello, Jim. Now that I am the recorder, I get to be the one who used the finger, yeah. and it was my index. Um, I owe the audience two episodes. I don't know if mine are going to come out before yours do. <laughs> I'm hoping so. I'm hoping so. Um, I, dude, I spent all day today cleaning up my like studio area, and I wish I could show you a picture of it. It doesn't look like I did anything. Um, just because my life is in such chaos right now, like, so to give you an example, like, here's an old iPad, and here's an inhaler, here's a digital multimeter, um, here's a Zoom H6 handy recorder, like, and this stuff is all buried, I'm just grabbing things out from underneath, here, oh, this is, this is the best one, here's a stack of portable hard drives. Holy smoke. I mean, I, I, I so to, to explain to the listeners what's been going on and why the show has been sporadic, um, I got involved in a situation at work where I was trying to rescue a coworker because they were about to sink my department, um, and that ended up with me becoming the de facto product project manager on a live webinar thing that lasts all day. And so I have to train all the people and how to do all the various things I have to run through. I mean, I'm literally burning the candle at both ends. I worked 55 hours last week, I think it was. Oh, my gosh. And it's literally a 37 and a half hour work week. Um, so it's just, it's just crazy. I don't know how I'm keeping up right now. I don't know how I'm even alive. Um, this weekend has been a godsend because, honestly... If I had not had this weekend, I probably would have quit my job. Like I'm getting to the point right now where it's like, no, this is this is not acceptable. And the fact that they're not going to step up to the plate, the people that I'm working for are definitely dodging me. Like they don't really want to pick up the pieces yeah. that they should be. Um, and it's been told to me by my manager and other managers that they should be doing this. And I'm like, well, it's fine for you to say that. When are you going to enforce it? Yeah. Um. So anyway. That all aside, I did get to do a couple of me things this weekend. I spent an hour at a guitar store. That was about the only, the only time I spent on anything that was like purely just enjoyment related, which I would consider the show that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, I got this. I got these these wonderful new Didario EXP coated strings. Uh, they're coated phosphor bronze, warm, warm, bright, and balanced tone. And apparently, they use NY steel for greater pitch stability, and they're stronger. Um, these strings seem to be very nice. Is I am I, am I forgetting something? Am I leaving something out? That you got strings, acoustic strings. I mean, why would you buy acoustic strings? I don't understand. That's a good question. I don't. Oh yeah, there's that thing I did. Um, oh, so where is that? Jim is that? Jim has not seen the gender of this guitar yet. I have not. Uh, it's a reveal party.
So I got this, which is a Siegel Maritime oh, nice. SWS. I got to read the model number out of the guitar because it's kind of weird. It's a Maritime CH SWS QIT. So that's the Golden QIT electronics, which are okay. They're not they're not fantastic. They're not the best in the business or anything. Um, but it's a solid wood guitar, like back sides, so, you know, top all solid. Bolt on uh, it's a it's a uh, set neck. Uh, it's glued, and it just it resonates to all hell. Um, and I, I didn't pay a ton of money for it. It was under a thousand. Um, but you really have to look to find an all solid wood guitar for that kind of price. And I feel like um, this guitar kind of checks checks all the boxes because it's a concert body and. So it's smaller. Uh, it definitely doesn't have the sound of a dreadnought, um, but I really wasn't looking for the sound of a dreadnought. You know, we we talked about it in the show. Um, the only thing that I'm having to deal with is when I play. If I'm sitting, it's fine. When I put the strap on, my forearm does this, yeah. so I'm just 90 degree angle. Yeah, that's fun. Uh, does not feel good. Yep. I. I am I am one hundred percent with you there. That is the one thing that when I stand up, <laughs> and mine, I yeah, think mine is deeper because mine's a dreadnought, right? So, um, not a lot, but it's a little bit deeper. Well, you'll notice a couple things. So, I didn't get a guitar with a cutaway, which is something I wanted. Um, and actually, part of that came down to sound. So, I was playing, um, I was playing dreadnoughts, and I was playing the the Seagull S six, which is a, just a solid top. Nothing too crazy there. Uh, and going back and forth between an S6 with an, and an X6, and I think it's an S6 with a cutaway. And the bodies, like, it was fine. The guitar sounded great. But when you go to the cutaway model, you'd lose just a little bit more beef. And I'm like, the, the, like the lower mid-content. And I was like, I don't know that I even want, because once you go down to a smaller body like this, I don't know if you want to go to a cutaway. I really right. don't. No, uh, that resonance counts. So, honorable mention goes to a couple other guitars I checked out. I looked at a lot of Breedlove um, stuff in the $700 to $1,100 price range that they had in stock, which which wound up being like eight guitars, I think. Um, I played six of the eight, um, and they had some really good-sounding guitars. Um, I feel like this was a better player than the Breedloves I played. And that doesn't mean that you couldn't adjust those and get them set up to play properly. But there was something about this look that really fit more with like what I'm trying to do aesthetically for, for the uh, band I'm in right now. And also I think this, this guitar won't like the, the styling won't be looked, looked at as retro at some point or anything like that. It's kind of a timeless thing. Their headstock's a little funky and it's like a little bit of an arrow shape, but that's to straighten out the string path. So I think, you know, some people are willing to make some concessions there, but the appointments are good. It's, um, uh, 
It's got it's got binding on the body. It's got binding on the headstock. It does not have binding on the neck. It is a rosewood guitar, which not rosewood guitar, but rosewood um, board. And a lot of their guitars now are coming out with rich light. So this one's probably a year or two old. It's before they switched over to using the rich light fingerboards. Yep. Um, and I just I got lucky, like because right now, if you if you've been shopping around for an acoustic guitar, good luck finding one, because they're just like nothing's in stock. Nothing is desirable anyway. I mean, you'll find lots of stuff that is like, eh. Um, super expensive. Yeah, yeah, and that's if you're gonna buy used, it's gonna be it's you're gonna pay for the nose right now. Um, but uh, I did play, so this is the this is the experience I want to share with our uh, listeners because we were talking last. I think one of the last two episodes we were talking about how um, you played that eleven hundred dollar martin or something or you know and you were talking about how it's like it changed your perspective on instruments and all that um i played a 3200 dollars breed love now i've played some expensive martins i had to think back but it's been it's been a while right um but i had to think back and go yeah i don't think i paid any ten thousand dollar martins but i've definitely played them in the 3500 to four thousand dollar category um the breed love was better than a $3,000 Martin, for sure. Uh, it was about $500 better, honestly. Um, and it just rang like a bell, resonated. The whole instrument felt alive um, and not in a bad way. And it had, like, the sparkle and clarity that you would get from, like, a, a smaller-bodied guitar packed with all the low-end oomph and the, the punch of a big dreadnought that, that's, you know, inflexible. Basically, that dreadnought that gives you all of the um, the clarity that you want instead of just being, like, a lot of low-end. Um, but I also, if we're going to be honorable mentioning, I think this, I think the Siegel S6, we've been talking about budget, budget acoustic guitars. Honestly, um, give the S6 a, a swing because because I've played a lot of budget acoustic guitars and for what they cost, holy crap, those things are good. Um, I almost bought one of those over that. I mean, that's, but I didn't want a dreadnought. So I kind of backed off and said, you know, what? as good as they are, I really would rather have like the concert body. So that's what I went with. But yeah, that's good. I, I, um, I've had uh, a similar experience to you as far as the Martin goes with the, uh, with breed loves, but I didn't think it was. I wouldn't have said better. Uh, you know, I I played a lot of them. What I would say is it was different. There were different tonal ranges and then, and everything that that you're looking for uh, in an acoustic guitar. Um, whether it was Taylor, Gibson, uh, Fender, or I mean no, not Fender, not up at that price point. Um, Martin, uh, breed love. Um, there was another one. Um, I, every one of them had a different tonal quality and that was really right. Like, Siegel doesn't make anything in those, pro, in those price categories. So yeah, like no. for anybody who's like listening and thinking like, Oh, maybe I'll, um, so that, that's really not an apples to apples comparison with my guitar no. with anything like that. Like Siegel is like more of an entry level, um, to like, to like professional level, uh, guitar, but they don't really get into like, you know, superstar level guitar right um and 
I, I hear what you're saying when you say like one thing is not, is not better than another. And I, I, I do think there are definitely subjective qualities in guitars, but like just to give the audience my criteria to back up my statement. Um, I'm talking about sustain. I'm talking about evenness throughout the playing range and of the neck. Cause that's a big problem in acoustic guitars. Like you'll, you'll play a guitar even now, mind you, it has to be properly set up anyway, but if it's properly set up, you will have like areas of the neck where maybe notes don't ring through as truly, as other places, and I'm not talking about intonation, I'm just talking about like volume wise. Um, and they call them dead spots, but I don't, I've never really had a guitar that had a true dead spot where like the note wouldn't ring out at all, but kind of some variation therein. Um, I'm not saying that expensive Martins have those, I'm just saying this guitar felt consistent throughout the range and it was consistent volume, but also like um, resonance as well, because I know that like the way that my guitar resonates in the upper register is different than the way that it resonates in the lower register, which is why I I think it's largely in part to their bracing design. Um, You know, of course, Martin sort of sticks to dogma in a lot of cases there. And I think that may be um, part of that. And many people look at, look at Martin or, or Gibson. They go, that is the sound that an acoustic guitar should make. You know what I mean? Um, I'm like totally comfortable just saying, you know, blow it out the window. I really don't care. I, I, I just want these qualities to come out in the sound. And so I'm more of a non-traditionalist in that way. Yeah. I can, I can get along with that. I get along. Um, so the, that's exciting news, um, that you've joined, um, us in the, uh, uh, the mid-level mid-range, uh, acoustic world. Still play like a madman. I mean, it's I, it's not like I play like an acoustic player or anything. It's it's hilarious. Uh, Good for you. Shred and that kind of stuff coming out of there. But okay, all right. I'm going to ask you this. You haven't put the new strings on, so we'll we'll see how that might change. But uh, playing, I believe these are already on it. When you're playing fast, oh okay. When you're playing fast on it, did you notice? And I and this is a this is an obvious question. I know the answer to. I really. Did you notice a difference when you were trying to bend? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I defeated that immediately, though. This guitar plays way better than the Ibanez I had. Um, there's no, I, at least so far, I'm going to try to tough it out. I don't think there's any ra- reason for me to go to an, uh, to an unwound G on this. Uh, maybe. I mean, it depends. Um, I just noticed today I was, like, playing some blues licks, and I was, I just was, like, muscling my way through them. Yeah, it hurts. Um, but, you know, you get through that, and... Uh, I think it's just using your ears to play and not as much your fingers. Do you know what I mean? Like you don't think about what your fingers are doing as much as what your ears are doing and and it just kind of happens. I do notice that like the squeaking finger thing is always an issue, but, but that's all a technique thing. Um, And I can, I can work around that. Like I, I know enough about, because I do a lot of studio stuff anyway. I have the same problems with electric guitars. Um, You just got to learn to, you know, deal with your specific instrument in order for you to like get around it. Basically. I am probably one of the few people who, when it comes to that squeaking string thing, I like it. I, I don't try to avoid it. So. I think it, I think it largely depends on like how much of it's going on too. Right. Cause I've definitely like, I I'm kind of in your boat where it's like, it's not that big an issue to me, but there are some things that you can do that like will enhance it and make it like ridiculously loud. Um, yeah. And can, it, it can almost like overdo the fundamental. 
especially in expensive guitars. This guy, I re- unless I'm playing super quiet, the squeaks are going to be barely noticeable. You're never going to hear them because because it's just the the fundamental is so much there that um, you'd really have to be listening to them in a track, or you have to be using heavy compression or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Again, it for me when I'm playing, and of course everybody's different. Rarely do I hear it in a recording, um, and it's just something that I it it, it almost it tells me that I'm I'm. It's one of those reactive things. I don't know if I'm explaining it. Well, in, record, in recordings, a lot of times the way that they mic the guitar is designed to prevent it from um, getting out of control in the recording. Yeah. And then oftentimes they'll use other tricks too, like they'll use the scrunchie on the yep. you know, strings to prevent it and that kind of thing. But it's definitely there are definitely some tricks that people use to suppress it. And I have seen people even go so far as to automate volume drops when there are squeaks so in between the notes and we're not talking about gating we're talking yeah. about literally going in and manually, manually removing it that's right um, no. which is why a lot of acoustic pieces are on on like old classic rock records stuff are, t- are traditionally fairly short um, yeah. because and, usually like some trickery going on there and traditionally not very what's the word not not, not very loud but not very like you know a lot of times, like take a song like American Pie, right? Don McLean's classic. Um, or better yet, Dust in the Wind. There's like nine acoustics overdubbed on that song. I can't yeah. remember if he said it was seven or nine, but it's a really high, weird, weirdly odd number. <clears throat> um, and I think a certain number of them are acoustic uh, 12 strings, and then there's acoustic six strings. And he's also got like... Um, another three layers or something like that at the top that he did like just to make notes so that it was a nice you got to give Carrie what was it Carrie Lifgren I think is the guitar player yeah, I think so. yeah it sounds familiar was um, the guitar player at um, Rest of Soul he's at a, um, he was the guitar player for Kansas I believe and uh, um, yeah incredible player incredible uh, at at replicating himself that many times and making it sound like one big boomy acoustic in the room just saying yeah um well and 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 some of the times like when you hear a track like that that's been overdubbed to all the hell that will fix the squeak problem because yep. it's going to cover it up it does, it just that's, disappear the mix. yep it just disappears uh, i was saying we were talking today and you were talking about i can't remember what it was and i said to you I said, yeah, but sometimes something that'll sound terrible, right? Um, oh yeah, we were talking about um, we were talking about parlors. Yeah, I actually opted out of getting a parlor, um, and I want to I want to explain why. Um, I think that most parlors that are produced today are designed to to fit a specific niche, um, market wise. Not yeah. player-wise, not purpose-wise, but I think they're designed to hit a price point. Right. Um, and because of that, um, you, you won't really find a whole lot of them unless you go to, like, private luthiers or um, you get a really high-end guitar from somebody, and they're out right. there. Um, right. I, I think Rain Song makes a parlor now, don't they? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, you can So if you seek out one of these smaller companies, I'm sure you can find one that's acceptable. But um, Fender, 
PRS because they did the SC one this year, um, which got me thinking again. And then, like, uh, I guess uh, the the popular one is the Jim Dandy, which has been around for decades. Decades. And, uh, of course, these are all kind of spun off from the Martin Parlor shapes, which are, um, I says what, the Triple O 18, I think, is the one that everybody loves from the, like, 30s, 20s, and 30s. Um, Bill Parlor? It's a Triple O 18 or something like that. Yeah. Their model numbers suck. Their anyway, it's their so parlor cool. shape, right? Yeah. Uh, their pre-war parlor shape. Um, and I don't know if, if Martin's actually producing those at, like, an affordable level that's actually worth buying. Um, but I know that, like, for example, uh, Taylor has the GS Mini, which is kind of their take on a parlor. Problem is, their scale length is all wonky on it. Um, and... Uh, Fender does theirs. They have one they just came out with in their I guess like vintage series or something. Um, and I didn't even bother to play it. And it's not like I was upset with it or anything or thinking it was going to be bad. I was just like kind of look, looking at the situation going, it's a $300 guitar or $400 guitar. Like I really don't think that it's going to be built any better than some of the other $400 guitars in that price category. Yep. Um, and I started to realize, like, uh, a number of things about what I really wanted in terms of tonality. Like, I didn't want it to be so thin that it couldn't be heard. And I think right. that's the issue with the parlor is, like, putting it inside of a, an ensemble. I don't think it's going to punch through quite as well. Um, that said, so I learned some interesting things. I never play my Ibanez acoustic, right? Like, I had tatted out of the case the first time in, like, years, two months ago. And um, Got to take a time out for a second. I'll be right back. Oh, sure. Let me write the time down. Oh, that's fine. Merle. Get down. Get down off of here. Sorry about that. Get down. I'm doing the editing so I can write down the time. Yeah. So about Okay. Anyway, um, so just thinking about uh, the parlor thing and, and going through it, like I don't think that uh, they would have fit the fit the um, uh, contour what I was doing as well, and so uh, I I don't play my Ibanez very much at all, and um, that was part of that was part of the the genesis. Of this is like I took my Ibanez to the store. And I said, let's let's bounce this existing guitar off of some others 
And what we found out, which which I didn't realize immediately, I thought I had a dreadnought. Um, what, what I figured out like almost immediately, I have something other than a dreadnought. Yeah. Uh, because it does not have any of the low end characteristics, and I always assumed that was because it's just a crappy guitar. Um, no, it has nothing to do with that. It's just the body shape and size is actually similar to what this guy is. Um, wrong, that said, it is a crappy guitar. Well, that's no, I'm I'm going there. So just... the difference between this and that in terms of tonality are like night and day. This rings like a bell. That one rings like a wet fart. Um, and the the other problem I have is that this one has low end clarity and low mid clarity. The other one does not. Um, it's actually difficult to tune the other guitar because you can't hear the the beats when you're when you're you know tuning up against yourself. Um, so I kind of I kind of just made a I made a judgment call. I actually had talked to somebody in the in the group and I had said you know. I'm going to go look at guitars today and I'm like, I don't know what, even know what I'm going to end up doing because I, the, the reason is I have a gig um, that's acoustic only coming up and we talked about the thing just in one of the previous two episodes. And so I was like, I got to make a decision on whatever, whether I'm going to play that gig or not and whether I'm going to take my Ibanez or not. And I kind of, I walked in with the interpretation that, that what I was really going to do is I was going to buy a set of strings or two and probably just use the Ibanez. And, um, cause I knew that slim pickings right now. Right. And I wasn't going to spend money on something I didn't want. Well, I started bouncing these guys and I was like, well, honestly, if I'm going to buy an SWS, an all solid wood guitar, um, I'm like, this makes sense to just buy it and just get it over with and grin and bear it. My wife even was kind of like, it's about friggin' time. So is you that know. Sitka? Is that a Sitka type? What was that? The top is it Sitka, cedar? Oh yeah, no, it's um, Adirondack spruce. Okay, spruce. Yep, true stop. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, my other guitar, I think, is cedar. It's 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 a redder color, so I'm assuming it's cedar. Um, it may not be. It's a laminate. It doesn't really matter anyway. Yeah, so um, that's a Sitka top and sides. Uh, the it's a Sitka guitar, but I think it's a mahogany back and sides. That makes sense. Yeah, I was going to say, by the look of the the grains, when you showed it earlier, it looked like it was mahogany. It's a gorgeous looking guitar. I, oh, I honestly God, like taking it back with the the grain pattern stuff. It's Can perfectly book matched. Show that show that back again, man. That the the, the back of that thing, <clears throat> excuse me, is just um, just beautiful. I mean, that's a that's a sight. Look at that thing. Look at the detail. You rarely see a mahogany back that like is three D like that, I know, which is right? pretty. And pretty look crazy. At those, look at those sides. Turn it, turn it to, to the yeah. Look at that. Look at the. That's just beautiful. They picked a beautiful piece for that. Even the neck is just killer. Yeah, I mean it. Well, it's a satin guitar too, so yeah. um, that's always going to make this look better, in my opinion. Um, I think it feels better to play too. After the show, after we record the uh, live portion of the show, I will. I will place. I will record some clips. I'll do that tomorrow, and I'll send them to you, and you can stick them in, you know, underneath yeah. the this yep. little blur. I can do that. Right sounds here. like right here. I, I don't think I've ever actually recorded an acoustic guitar, so that'll be interesting. I will do some of the acoustic electric sounds, and I'll do. I'll have a mic on it too, um, because yeah. because it does sound good mic'd up. Like it sounds good, like a you know, like an acoustic should, right? right. Um, 
Well, so here's the funny part, right? So we're in there in the, the acoustic room, and I've played like half dozen acoustics. And my wife is literally standing there, and she's handing me my Ibanez, and then I'm grabbing this guitar and playing it for a second, and I'll play the same stuff on the Ibanez. And we're going back and forth. And then we switched over to a breed love, and we were doing the same thing. And she and I asked her, I was like, what do you think? I'm like, I think I'm buying this. Yeah. And she goes, she goes, I think you should get that. And she's like, I think you should get that because you already have this. Which is yeah, go down. Yeah. So um, if you didn't know, they're made by the same company. Yep. yep same co- parent company. And she knows, Golden. she knows I've had other, you know, Godans. So, yeah. um, I'll tell you what, this really wets my whistle for an LG XT. Doesn't it? And, uh, I'm, I'm kind of like, I've been playing this guitar almost nonstop since I got it. Um, I'll just pick it up, you know, like while I'm cleaning or whatever and play for a few minutes here and there. And I never thought I could actually enjoy playing an acoustic guitar. I know, right? That was... <laughs> Which is pretty wild. Cause I'm like, wait a minute this can be fun like what the hell um if anybody remembers so this is this is like this is my aversion to playing acoustic guitar when i when i went to that first open mic at work um which they're no longer doing your open mic not because of covid but they canceled right before covid anyway um i the first night i went there i didn't know what like the situation was so i had my electric guitar but i didn't really have a direct box or anything i just figured there'd be an amp there or something well anyway um the guy comes up to me. He's like, "We don't have any performers." He's like, Can we "Just come up here and play my acoustic guitar." And I'm like, <sighs> "So I get up there, and it's the first time I played an acoustic guitar in probably six months." You know, he's like, "Just, just play something." And I'm like, yeah. "What the hell do I even play?" I don't even remember what I played. I think I played um, "Whipping Post," yeah. and I played. Um, I don't know. I just farted around for like five minutes, basically. And uh, I just remember walking off the station going, well, that sucked. Um, and Do you remember what I, acoustic it was? Do you remember what? Uh... Oh, yeah. It was uh, Jack Byron's got a he's got a a mid-level or, or higher Fender acoustic that he has yeah. just played the living bejesus out of. Um, and it, it's opened up actually quite a bit and he's got a, he runs, uh, I think Elixir 13s on it. Um, cause he play he plays it like probably every night, you know, right. he's playing, he's playing a, a two or three hour set or two or three hours of music somewhere. Yep. Um, even now during COVID he's booked. Um, and oh, that's cool. yeah, it's that guitar sounded really good for, for a Fender acoustic. Um, it wouldn't have been my cup of tea, but he's he's obviously had the guitar for a really long time. He's just grown with it. Um, and it was not a great player in my mind, but again, I don't normally play guitars with 13s on them. Um, so that was probably part of it. But uh, it had like a real... So, you know, some guitars... Um, I don't know whether it's just the way the nut slots cut or what. Some guitars have a very tight feel to them particularly around the first first to fifth frets, right? Um, And that guitar was one of those guitars where I was like, I really don't like the way this feels up there because there's so much tension. Um, And that was part of my part of my kind of gripe with that guitar. But but I went back, I 
you know, played brought my electric the next time and made up for the fact that I didn't really want to play my electric clean through the uh, through the mixer. <laughs> um, so it was, it, I mean, I got out of that situation. But the point is, I I never really looked at acoustic guitars as something I wanted to do. And yeah. even playing his that night, uh, I was like, well, it's better than mine, but I still like it's a totally different instrument. Like that's always the way I perceived it. I don't yeah. really feel it's necessarily a different instrument anymore. So I because I could things on this that I can do on an electric. So I played. So just to give you an idea, probably for six, seven years, um, probably. Yeah, six, seven years. I played acoustic, just acoustic. I didn't play an electric. I didn't even try out someone's electric for about six or seven years. Um, and I was doing duets and solo gig stuff. So it was just singer-songwriter stuff. I recorded an entire album. Um, that's somewhere. I have no idea where it is. Um, where I... <laughs> I recorded nothing but these original songs I wrote, and it was me on acoustic and a guy playing keys and a drum machine um, in the background. Um, and uh, that was 85 or so. So I had played acoustic for from round 84. Uh, once I sold my V, into 85 and through that whole time frame right into the 90s I played acoustic and it was just because not because of anything except it was just what you're talking about but it was a pretty normal thing all the open mics wanted acoustic players I'd get to plays I'd play an open mic and they'd say hey we'll pay you to come back and play this day this day this day and I had a regular gig plus I had another gig where I would follow this comedian around, he would do a comedy act, and then I would play um, all Sam Cooke songs, and he would sing, and then I would do a couple of, few tunes of my own, like a set, and then he'd go back and finish, finish the whole night out with, with jokes. Um, he was a very funny guy, um, he's gone now, but uh, very, um, it was the, the need. And then somewhere in the mid-2000s, I spent about four years playing almost exclusively bass guitar. I didn't even, it, it was not even a thing. And I always see what you were talking about where you said you saw it as a different thing. I still see acoustic differently than I see electric. Maybe it's because my talent level isn't high, as high or whatever, but I my choices of notes are different. I tend to play twelfth fret and and to the duck. <laughs> yeah, um, see that's and, but that's something that happens as a result of the the mechanics of the instrument, less so than like um my, yeah you, you know the well, sheer difference. You know what I mean? Right. Like well, I, I the yeah. role of the of the bass guitar, for example, is totally different. Than the role of an acoustic guitar, an electric guitar, and an arrangement. Yeah. Now that doesn't necessarily have to be that way. You can always, you can obviously play an electric guitar like a bass guitar, or you can be Jack Bruce and play, you know, a bass like an electric. Um, you know, that's that like 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 a, like a regular standard electric guitar. Yeah. Um, but 
I don't like. So yes, I will definitely be playing it differently. But I think the skill sets can translate a lot more than people want to let them believe. Now, obviously, I'm not going to sit oh. there and say like, "Oh yeah, I'm not going to incorporate the things that you would more commonly associate with acoustic guitar music, like you know, arpeggiated patterns and things like that." Um, but I will say that those things can already be done readily by me on electric guitar, and a lot of this, those skills are translating over pretty easily now. Yeah. Well, what I was what I was saying is, okay, so. Bass guitar, too. A lot of guys are like, oh, bass guitar, I can't play bass, I can't play guitar, blah, blah, blah. Listen, if you can play guitar, you can play bass, you just have to know where it sits in in the music. Um, just like what you're saying, it has a different role. To me, the acoustic has a different role. And it, it may can. be, yeah. Like, if you take a Jim Croce song, it takes a front, It it that's a front role. But there are electrics in there, often hidden until the the uh, <clears throat> um, solo and then they kind of come back or they'll they'll just be acoustic um, you take uh, John Mellencamp he was he was brilliant at, with uh, um, David Grissom with balancing the electric and the acoustic in a mix right. um, and giving them what they did was completely different Grissom was almost like there were Grissom's a great player everybody everybody knows that but um, what would happen is Grissom would, would give all this air so that the acoustic would be doing something completely different. And then the acoustic would have that change off. You know what I mean? Uh, whether you're talking Rain on the Scarecrow or Jack and Diane. I mean, come on, yeah. Jack and Diane. Well, I'm just, I'm just saying that a lot of those parts that are done on the record, yeah, like they chose to do them with an acoustic guitar because they were looking for some specific tonality or something. Right. But, I mean, you could generally I, – I would say it's a lot easier for you to go and say – I'm going to play this acoustic part on an electric, a clean electric guitar through a Fender amp. Like it's doable. Um, it's a lot less doable to go the other way and say, I'm going to have this, this acoustic guitar play these, you know, crazy electric guitar solo parts. Um, Definitely. And that's, that's all I'm saying. Like, yeah. I think, I think the skills translate easier going from acoustic to, or from like clean electric to acoustic, which I don't play a lot of clean electric. Yeah. Um, which is probably why I was held back. But that, but that's therein lies the other problem, right? My equipment was holding me back. And uh, this is one of the few times where I can actually say getting better equipment has improved my ability because it wasn't really my ability that was the problem. Right. Um, it was the equipment and, that was holding me back. Yeah, and, and, and I don't want to mislead people who are listening to the show and thinking, well, hell, I'll just get better. I'll buy better gear. That's not what that means. That's, yeah. What that means is... <laughs> Sometimes you have exceeded what your where your gear can take you, um, right. and that obviously takes time um, to get there. And so I was getting, I was just getting choked by it. And so that's why my acoustic guitar sat in a sat in a case for like ever in a day. Um, this thing, that's the other part, is the convenience level. Throw this in a case; it's got a built-in tuner. I don't even have to worry about whether I have a tuner in the case. That's right. um, it's and just make sure I'm stocked with strings. Yeah, yeah I mean, I mean it's awesome. I, I keep an extra set of strings in the case, um, you know, under the neck. Um, again, like what you were talking about, I think that I think that you're right. But like, if I'll take a song, let's uh, let's take a song, because I'll often play electric songs and do them on acoustic on purpose to trip people up. So I'll be at a gig and and uh, I'll play like eight six seven five three on IJ, or so, um, or better yet. For our metal fans, 
of breaking the law, right? I'll play on acoustic. Now, of course, you can't, you can, but it doesn't sound as good as a solo artist to play the, the acoustic the same exact way you would play it electric. Voicing the chords and different things like that, you'll, probably, you'll play differently because you want to make the guitar big because it's the whole freaking band, right? Um, where you probably won't play that song in electric solo. And if you did, you got a backing track, right? Right, so like, right, because that is the one thing you can say about an acoustic guitar is it's really easy to fill out a mix compared to an electric guitar. There's yeah. something about the way that the arrangements with an electric guitar are always done that makes it feel really, really naked if you're and not playing with some I sort was, of track. Yeah, I was at a friend's house, and um, they asked me to bring my guitar because it was a party thing that was going on over the um, uh, Labor Day weekend. So I, I go and I bring my guitar, and I'm playing acoustic, and I said, let's see if you guys know this song. And I literally played Breaking the Law. But, of course, again, you don't, you, you're not like down, 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 down. So it's, it's more like down, 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 down. <laughs> and then I go into, there I was, completely wasted, out of luck and down. And they were like, I know this. Everybody was like, I know this song, but I don't know this song. <laughs> you know, like, we, I, I've done stuff like, I forget what song it was, but I played, um, God, it, it must have been something like, like, um, what was it? I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example, though. Oh, no, it was The Trooper. And I think I actually posted a copy of that where I did, like, the jazzy version of The Trooper. Yes. I yeah. did that on an acoustic guitar. That's what. That's how that started. Because I was, like, just messing around. I was like, oh, what would happen if I did that? And uh, everybody kind of lost their minds when they heard it. And, like, my wife is cracking up and other people were, too. Because, like, it's just something that's totally off the wall. And you can get away with that, I think, with an acoustic more than you can electric. Now... Um, I'm sure there will be people in the group who are going to say things like, oh, here he goes, cork sniffing again, buying another really expensive guitar, which brings us to our topic this evening. Yes. Um, which is that um, we, we, have, we have definitely caught some flack. And I, and, and I won't say just Jim, because Jim's bought a lot of stuff from the show started and all that. But, but we definitely have both gotten flack for buying the gear that we buy because it's expensive in some cases, um, or uh, it's not necessarily the most practical thing for our application, um, which, you know, don't judge me. Um, it, it, and um, I say that in jest, like it's, it's all fun and games to me, but. Um, Till somebody puts an eye out. <laughs> right, right. Um, but, but in terms of like guitars, right. So there's always this argument and I've had this at various stores over the entire time that like I've been friends with people and, and I've had this conversation with friends as well. Um, would you rather have 10 inexpensive guitars that do different things and are of different styles or two really good guitars that are expensive? And I see, I see merit in both. Yeah. But I think it really depends on the person and what they're doing. Jim, care to weigh in first? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I'll explain. Um, so I, I honestly do believe that. 
Um, and I was one of those people who, um, for a long time, by the way, a long time, I have a lot of guitars. I had probably, I don't know, 30. Um, I would go, if I included basses, it was easily 30 guitars. Um, <clears throat> and some of them I go, like, I, I still have that? Like that? <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know? And so I, I just, I want to say this. So I'm going to go through, I'm not trying to show off here, so people please don't think I'm showing off here. I just want to run numbers. So if I added up the value, these guitars and my acoustic, the, the main guitars that I have, there's five of them, it'd be about 10 grand. Okay, a little, actually a little more. So let's just say a nice round number, $10,000, my guitars. How That's many, a lot of squires. Yeah, how many squires do you think I could hang on this wall for $10,000? And then 20. We, yeah, and add up my pedal board and these two amps. And you're in the 13, 14,000, you know. Yeah, right, right, right. Range, right. So I I often find myself wondering, and believe me, there's, there's many weekends where I go, do I really need all these expensive? Couldn't I just have an Epiphone and, you know, get my Squire? You know, I want to say this. You were talking really? about your, you were talking about your equipment holding you back. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that I'm, you are a shredder. You're an incredible player. I'm not. That's what I'm about to say. I am not as good a player. But I never, when I play these, with the exception of the V, which is a, which was more about the fact that I was kind of, that, that's the one guitar that I'm like, bringing my past back to me. Um, so it's, it's what do they call that? Uh, when you're buying something. Uh, there's a name for, um, what do you, call that? you know what I mean? Nostalgia. <clears throat> Nostalgic value. Thank you. Thank you. And by the way, everyone who has played this guitar, um, has gone. Wow. That's What's it like with the stainless steel? Well, now that it's got the new frets in it, it's freaking incredible. It's not everybody was, you know, everybody tells you, oh, it's going to be brighter, it's going to be brighter, it's not even brighter. The neck, it's not really. No. No. I mean, I, it, it, it does change the sound of it, but it's not like, oh my God, yeah. you can't play it anymore, kind of. Yeah. Oh, that's unbelievable. Oh my God, I can't stand it. No. It's like, it's like turning the presence up on your amp by like half a, half a tick, you know? Yeah. And you can always bring the presence down. Right, just turn the presence down. Like Nick 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 Bongers, right? Like he gives you the perfect the perfect anecdote for this. You'd rather have more frequencies coming out of the guitar than less. What the hell are you worried about? You could always right. dial it out. You can always <laughs> dial them out. It's hard. You can't dial in something you don't have. It's like my my mother used to tell me. You can't when I go out in the winter. You can't put on a jacket you don't take with you. Right. Even with even with an active EQ, you can't add content that isn't there. That's you right. can boost what's there, but you can't add content. You can't add to it, right. And so, anyway, so these guys right here, none of them holds me back. And so, I mean, now that that thing's got a straight, you know, the, the new frets, it's like a brand new guitar. I mean, that thing, yeah, you have nothing to blame but yourself, Jim, for holding no. you back. <laughs> nope, yeah, yeah. Honestly, that, <laughs> believe me, I was, I, was, I was yelling at myself um, 
No prisoners, Jim. No prisoners. You you got to you got to have that attitude. You got to do it. Um, but the uh, the the point that I'm trying to make is that if I cannot blame the amps, I cannot blame my pedals, and I cannot blame my guitars. I cannot say to myself, if I bought guitar A, I'd get that tone. I was I was rewatching the Bob Ross thing, right? And he and he had a um, a Telecaster in the first song, and he's playing this. Uh, um, 72 thin line um, and ripping it up and I'm like I can no no bad stop it you do not <laughs> need <it>. that you <laughs> are fine you don't need that to make that sound you can't make that sound because you suck not because you don't have the guitar so shut no, up no it's because you don't have a dumble in a <laughs> right oh he had a, he had four amps cranked in this thing it's a it's yeah. a pretty cool show if you got you haven't watched it but um my point is that, that um, none of this is holding me back. So if I get, that's why I'm literally at a no gear state. Because what what could I need? Name me Nothing. one. You got all your you got all your bases covered, man. Like I have, I've been telling you that for a long time. Yeah. Um, that you've had your bases covered. I thought you had your bases covered when you had a PRSCE and a yeah. and a, a PRS uh, Floyd Rose. I thought I that was effective. I did. So, so in all reality, I, I wanted, a part of me wanted something that was unattainable. And to be completely honest with you, I don't even know what that is. I think sometimes it's just boredom. I don't think it's about uh, attaining something. It's just like, I, I want to play something different, you know, like that's, that's what it boils down to. And so that's what I was going to point out. So the type of guitar player where it's going to benefit them to maybe invest in an expensive instruments. And I call it investment because it's what it is. Right. Um, it's because they, they're fighting boredom. Right. right. Like even me, I bought this, that, that, that Godin that I took off the wall earlier in the show. I bought that guitar. It was like 400 bucks. Now they were, I think 600 new or 699 new. Um, I got a killer deal on that. Cause I, those guitars go for about that used right now. Um, but I honestly, like, I didn't buy it because it was fancy, expensive thing, right? I actually bought it to pick up people. I've got the pickups sitting up here. I just have literally not had time to install them um, so that you guys can have those in a giveaway. Giveaway. And you can thank Nick Bongers at Great Lakes Guitar Pickups for that. Um, when we finally get around to being able to actually do it, which I'm, I'm literally sitting here thinking, like, what do I have at my desk that I can inflict self-harm so that uh, I could feel penance for the audience uh, being frustrated because I haven't done that yet? Um, just literally have not had the ability to sit down and get out of soldering iron. Um, right. Anyway, long story short, um, I could see somebody stocking up a room of like four and $500 quality guitars used. Yep. Um a little bit more easily than I can see somebody stocking up a room of guitars with like Squire affinities, drats and tellies and like Epiphone standards and Fireflies. that kind of thing. Um, yeah, definitely Firefly would not, I would not qualify in that list. And I like, I know there are people that listen to the show that are big fans of these lines of instruments and like more power to you. There's something in there that you see that I don't. That's, I'm not saying that you're stupid. 
and that you're doing the wrong thing. Right, like I'm just saying that so I, it's wrong. it's difficult for me to perceive a space where I could get my head wrapped around like a 100 or 190 dollar guitar being as good as um even the the bargain basement offerings I've seen from other companies just because I'm familiar with them, right? Like that's that's part of the issues to picking the poke thing. Um time but, out, time out, time out. Yep. I gotta take care of I'll be right back. Let me write this time down. Fifty one and thirty seconds. I'll explain it when I when we're done, but I will have that worked out next week. But okay. I'm so, puppy and <laughs> so yeah, yeah. And let me give the time in thing. Okay. So um with regards to, you know, moving along with with Squire and that kind of stuff. Um I I don't I'm not going to be the guy that tells you you can't play a show with a Squire Affinity because I've done stuff like that before. Everybody's done stuff like that at some point if you've been gigging regularly and that kind of thing, um, or that you shouldn't buy those guitars and customize the crap out of them, or you shouldn't buy those guitars at all. Like in all honesty, um, I just have a, I have difficulty accepting that I would rather spend my money investing in like $300 instruments over. Cause I, I play both, right? Like I'm more comfortable on stuff. That's a little bit better in quality. Actually my, my comfort point, And I'm, I, this is going to probably shock some people. My comfort point is like between 500 and $1,100. I really don't want to go over 1100, although I've done it and I probably will do it again. Uh, because once you get above 1100, like I just worry the crap about anything that's going to happen to the guitar. Like, what if I scratch it? What if I, you know, what if it gets stolen? Like, What's the insurance going to cost me? It just freaks me out. Um, which, you know, I know our listeners are like, yeah, I'll bet it freaks them out. Trust me, it does. Like having a bag over here with a Kemper in it freaks me out, okay? Um, and uh, it's just because I, like, I, I work hard for the money that goes into my stuff, and so it's, like, very difficult for me to accept that it can all be gone in an instant. Um, and so... Uh, that's why it makes it a little bit harder for me to like wrap my head around um going like the super cheap route right but i could see i could see somebody having like four or five squires and being being content although i honestly if i was going to do it i'd probably bunch of buy a bunch of prs se's because i think se's are perfectly gigable guitars and they're a dime a dozen and they're consistent um i know that 
Um, some of our show listeners are not big fans of the SC line. Like I've heard some things that like they all are acoustically dead. And um, I, I think you're going to have a real tough challenge finding guitars in the 500 to $700 range that aren't acoustically on the dead side. I wouldn't call them acoustically dead, just quiet guitars, right? Um, quiet acoustic guitars or quiet electric guitars that when played acoustically, I guess. Um, doesn't mean they're bad. I mean, you can rescue a guitar like that doing things like using active pickups. Um, you can get away with it, right? And so it's just, that's what it boils down to. Like, this guy, he's not going to compete with the $3,100 uh, Breed Love I played. I know that. I'm okay with that. I can live with that. Now, granted, some people look at me and call me a fool because it's like, well, you could spend another $1,000 and you could get a guitar that's acoustically alive that's going to be way better in tonality or whatever. Listen, I don't have anybody complaining about my tone, um, and I don't have anybody complaining about my ability level, so I'm not that worried about it. I really just am not. Um, will I buy $3,000 guitar at some point in my life? Probably. I mean, I ain't going to lie to you. Probably. Uh, do Do I think I need it right now? Probably not. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where I'm at with this. Like, I know that, I know that a lot of people come down the, like the Harley Benton path, right? They're like, well, if I could, and I've seen this in the everything guitar group, which by the way, I think we're going to start doing a segment where I pick apart posts and everything guitar. Cause there's definitely, I see some meaty stuff in there. Like, I, I think I sent you one last week that I was like, we just got to start picking this up. This has got to be a regular, a regular thing. Yeah. Um, and, um, I, I see people post things like you paid a thousand dollars for that guitar. I could have bought 10 Harley Bentons. Yeah. Really? Well, see, okay. Really? That's really where the root of this that I'm talking about is. is isn't <laughs> the, it isn't that the, the ultra strap behind me is 10,000 times or 200 times, whatever the number is better. <laughs> it's not going to be. Think about this for a minute. A Squire affinity is now, or not affinity. I'm sorry. Let's say a, a Squire uh classified right is is pushing like four or five hundred dollars now right am i wrong on that i might be wrong uh yeah there i think they're around four or five hundred there i think they're four hundred but but they might be around five yeah so i can see that if um and i know on the used market because of of the situation right now these things are selling really well um, and and maintaining um, a, a good portion of their value, but what I was what I was getting at is that's not four times better than a five hundred dollar strap. That's not what I'm trying to say. You you have diminishing returns higher you go, but what I'm trying to say is that as you increase, there are little things you get. You may not even want those. Might not be things you want, but. To say I'm going to spend two grand, let's say you're just going to spend two thousand dollars, right? If you're going to say I'm going to spend two thousand dollars, do you really need ten guitars, or can you, like, okay, bring it down to four, or bring it down to two, right? And and find two one thousand dollar guitars that blow your doors off, instead of now, of course, some people are. They do it with their own cars. They 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 pull them apart and put new stuff on them. You know, Harley Davidson riders are famous for this, right? They get that thing off the lot. What's the first thing they do? They throw the old pipes in the in the garbage and they get new pipes. And that's the first thing they do. 
and then they throw a bunch of other stuff at him. Um, and that's a different kind of person. It's a, but you'll you'll hear a Honda Goldwing rider or a BMW rider go, that's just dumb. I'm spending the same amount of money, and I'm leaving it the way it is. You know. So yeah. I'm not trying to say there's a, that it's a right or wrong, but what I'm saying is, wouldn't wouldn't a person normally in the in the um, in the bulk of people that are buying, wouldn't you rather have that thousand dollar, two one thousand dollar really killer guitars, whether that's a Strat, a Tele, or a Tele and Les Paul or whatever? Yeah, whatever fits your style, right? Yeah, uh, I think. And, go ahead. I think we're also making some assumptions though. Um, and, and that is that most players like stick to a particular genre or something. And where I could definitely see people having like way more spurious income streams from playing different genres. Like I wouldn't expect, I wouldn't expect the jazz box guy who plays, um, bluegrass on the side to show up at his, at his, uh, his country gig with his jazz box. Like he's going to bring his Telecaster and then he's going to have a jazz box somewhere. And then, like, for his blues gigs, he's got his Strat. Yeah. Or, and for his rock gigs, he has his Les Paul. Like, yeah. I definitely see there being players that are, like, more, I guess, um, Swiss Army Knights. omniscient than that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then again, like, how many guitars do you really need to to hit all the bases? I guess that largely just depends on the diversity of what of the material they're doing. Right. Um, whether they're covering or writing, you know, but, I, but again, like it just, it, that's a, that's a big dependency. I think, I think there are definitely, it's like this got go down uh, P90 guitar here. It'll do jazz. It'll do fusion. It'll do rock and roll. It'll do blues. It'll do, you know, it's like, it's not really as genre specific as some guitars are. Right. Um, and I know I've had people in the group say that g- guitars aren't genre specific. And I'm going to. I'm going to mention somebody who said that they would play blues with or uh, blues with uh, with a BC Rich. I think it's a Mockingbird. I think and is, I, you could say that that guitar that you you bought, you could easily find it right around five to six hundred dollars, right? The Godin. The Godin. Yeah, four hundred bucks, five hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, so it's not a super expensive guitar, but it is what we would call a good guitar, right? Yeah, you know, Godin though, like some of their current models are ugly as sin. I know that's um, and their headstocks are just oh, they got. It's not the headstock, man. It's the body and the pick guard. They look horrible. Yeah. Um, I don't know why they think they're going to get away with that as being a marketable instrument. Um, but I think that Siegel does so well for them, and some of the other brands that they have that like Godin is like the the bastard child right now, <laughs> and. There, they. I I suspect in the next three to five years we're going to see a complete redesign of the Godin line again, and they will be more in line with what like typical Fender shapes and typical Gibson shapes look like. Their their jazz boxes are killer, um, but they're they stopped doing the LG body style because some people didn't like it, and the body styles they replaced it with are ugly. They're terrible. Um, nobody needs. I, like the Yamaha Pacifica is another classic example of a guitar that it's a Strat style body, but it's ugly. Like you managed to make it look ugly. Like what were you thinking? Um, 
And they've always been ugly. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a Pacifica where I looked at it and was like, wow, that's great looking. Yeah. Uh, you want to see how to do a strap body right? Go look at an Ibanez RG. Go look at a, um, uh, an Ibanez AZ. Go look at yeah, – there's a ton of manufacturers that do, like, Strat-style guitars that don't look awful. Um, just But don't look their exactly lead. like a Strat either. Yeah, yeah. Follow their lead because it's doable. Now – I have pictures on my phone that somebody sent me, and I think it's worth I think it's worth mentioning because um, we're talking about ugly guitars and guitars out of genre, right? So like um, BC Rich, right? Somebody mentioned they could play they could play a Mockingbird at a so Mockingbird is the Warlock, one of one of those kind of guitars okay. at a blues gig. Okay, right? You could probably take a Warlock to a blues gig and get away with it. You're not going to take a warlock to a jazz gig. Don't pretend like that will be acceptable because you will get laughed off the stage. Um, there are definitely times where guitars are genre specific. Um, I'm not going to say that you can't, that they can't cross genres or be more uh, versatile than what they are based on their body shape. But I will tell you, if you take a, like an, an ESPF series, right? That's the spider web looking one. I always thought it was like a spiderweb. I guess it's not like a spiderweb or whatever. But if you were to take that or George, the George Lynch one, the bone, the bone guitar, uh, as I as I affectionately call it, the bone dick because of the lower the, the lower horn. Um, if you were to take that out uh, and you were to play a jazz gig with that, let me know how that goes for you. Because because I tell you right now, like they won't let you on stage. Like that's what'll end up happening is, is somebody will be like, you're not seriously gonna play, uh, you know. Um, uh, Coltrane tunes with you know, with with Bone Dick, you know, like that's not going to happen. Yeah, but that was that's almost your audience that would actually boo you off stage, almost. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. But that's the point. Like, you, you, there are guitars that are genre specific, and you, there rarely is that genre specificity, like based on tonality, because um, those guitars would definitely cross tonality. Like, no, nobody's gonna gonna argue with you on that, um, but you got to think about the other side of it a little bit more than just pretending like everybody's okay with everything. Cause that's just not the case. Um, yeah, I agree with it. I, I, like I said, I just sat, watched, uh, Badamasa play, uh, that nine song thing. And, uh, it's his new album royalty. So it's all the new songs and stuff. But anyway, I watched him pretty much play three guitars and, it, and the only other guitar that made it onto stage was a fourth that was played by the other guitar player. And that was a 335. <laughs> okay? You know what those three were, right? I don't even have to say them out loud for you to know what those three guitars were. 59 Burst, probably oh, a Telecaster and a Strat. Les Paul, Strat, and Tellys. Now, they weren't yeah. the same Les Paul all night. It wasn't the same Telly all night. It wasn't the same Strat all night. Actually, I think the Strat was the same each time. But, um, uh, I will say the other guy played uh, Telly once. <laughs> he played he played a Les Paul custom and a three three five pretty much the whole night. So if you think about it, and the bass player switched switched bases more often than the other guitar players, <laughs> which I thought was completely nuts. But um, my um, my point is that. Okay, that was blues, right? Typically, those are the guitars that we associate with the blues, right? Those are the... Yeah, yeah. I mean, and rock and roll. I think 
I think most blues guitars fit really well into a rock and roll category. I definitely think that there's some more rock and roll guitars that don't like, and and you're going to laugh, Jim, because I know you're not a huge fan of, but offsets really fit more in the rock and roll category, but I don't think have as much overlap in the blues to, to my way of thinking. Now, granted, I don't think anybody's going to tell you, you can't bring your jazz master on stage and play, you know, 12 bar, but I can, I, I would, I would venture a guess that like most people who are playing those guitars who think they're fantastic are not playing straight you know, like real right. electric blues, right? Right. But they were built for jazz. I mean, thus the name, jazz. Which is hilarious to me because they're, Which they don't is really hilarious sound like they're because they jazz, did not but... sound like any jazz box I've ever heard in my life. And they have zero point, to me, they don't say jazz. Now, one guy that, that plays jazz on a non-traditional jazz guitar is Scott, oh, what the heck's his last name? Um, he plays a Strat. Very famous for playing a strat. Yeah, I think I know who you're talking about. Player, there are definitely dudes that play jazz masters and stuff in context, but they tend to be more. It's it's not the typical jazz sound. Do you know what I mean? Like it's they're going for something different, and many of them would be considered more like in the free jazz realm or, um, in jazz fusion context but i just think that it's like that's a whole other ball of wax it's not re- those were meant to to like kind of be the jazz guitar and they and they did they didn't do a very good job of being the traditional jazz guitar right. um, which is fine because i actually do like jazz masters um but um yeah it's just an interesting thing but but what i actually wanted to talk about somebody sent me this this afternoon you're gonna laugh okay. um i'm not gonna give away their name because they may have connections to the industry. They may not. Um, but anyway, they, what they said to me was, should you ever find yourself in the perilous situation of having swallowed a poisonous berry, simply obtain a 2020 Dean catalog and open it to any page. This will sufficiently induce vomiting and quite possibly save your life. And then he proceeded to send me pictures. And I'm not going to share them. Get yourself a copy of the Dean 2020 catalog if you want to see these. Um, but... God, Dean has outdone themselves in hideousness this year. I mean, these guitars are butt-freaking-ugly. I don't even know if this catalog is out yet. It may not even be out yet, but they have a guitar called the Exile, and the horns on it look like they're, like, they're just, they're pre-made to break off, basically. This guitar is quite possibly one of the ugliest turds I've ever seen. And maybe it's just a picture. Like, maybe it's the proportion of the picture, and part of me keeps saying that to myself, but then on the other part of me is like, no, <laughs> there's no way in hell. Like, it's not just the picture. They're, they're just, it's just ugly. They're doing a V still, which is amazing, considering they're getting sued. Um, they're doing several Vs, actually. I thought that um, the, the lawsuit got dropped. There's another Cowboys from Hel- Hell ML coming out, um, which looks like a bolt on. That's one of their uh, uh, mainstays because it just yeah, keeps yeah, right, making right. them money. Uh, the Kerry King V Limited Edition, which is not... <sighs> Stop making can openers! Uh, this guitar looks like a can opener. You know, yes. and, and, and th- this actually leads me down to another topic, right? So, Dean reinvented itself a few years ago and became like this, like, we're going to make all these signature guitars for people. Um... And when we had Michelangelo Badio on the show, he was still using Dean guitars, right, at the time. Yep. But that is no longer the case. He's now with Sawtooth guitars, I believe. 
which is an Amazon sold brand. Um, I will say nothing about that product because as far as I'm concerned, uh, Michelangelo Badio is still a friend of the show. Um, Badio. Yeah. I, I honestly, uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna poo poo his brand, but it's Firefly, right? Like it's the same thing. Um, which is okay if I guess if you're into that sort of thing, but you can't, you can't doesn't say mean. that he was selling out because the poor guy. I mean, let's face it. No, I mean he's got to he, like he's got to eat too. Like I, I get it. Um, so there's another product on the horizon. We've talked about it on the show before. They did miss their launch date. Uh, this is your quad cortex update. Okay, so. Um, Who's making the quad cortex? Can you remind me? Can't remember the name of the company. Quad um, cortex. Yeah, it's. Let me see if I can find Hold it real on. quick. Got... Neural DSP. Yep. Neural. I forget their name every single time. Um. So, they missed their they missed their ship date. They're not going to be out in September. They're going to be out. I think in, they're saying November, but a lot of people are already saying they're probably going to get pushed at pushed back again. Um. They released video the other day of their profiling tech, which looks like Kemper profiling. Um, they're blasting a signal into an amp, and they're recording the signal, and the signal looks sounds remarkably like a Kemper. I was not impressed with their profiling video, um, and that has been the consensus amongst several people that I've spoken to who have also watched this video with a decent set of speakers. And they were not like saying that it didn't replicate the amp. It just didn't do, it just didn't sound good. You know what I mean? And that may have been their fault because they mic'd it up crappily or something when they were doing the test. I didn't think either the recorded amp sounded good or the uh, profiled amp sounded good in my opinion. So I think that may be part of the problem. But um, what we were laughing about, or what at least what I'm laughing about, is that they're not the first company to have attempted this. And get sued because there's a patent on what Kemper's doing. Now, if you recall, patents and from our previous discussions on the show aren't on the way you do something. They are on the result. Okay. And if they are doing if they are reaching the same result using a similar method, and that's up for the court to decide what similar is and how the how the patent is spelled out also has a deep impact on that. Um, they're in violation of Kemper's patent, which means they'll probably get sued unless they license the tech from Kemper, which I highly doubt Christoph Kemper is licensing that out. Um, so the Quad Cortex, it has profiling tech in it. Um, I have speculated, and I have speculated on this show, that I don't believe that it's actually profiling. I believe it is tone matching. And they have a wider variety of sources within the device to tone match to. So it gives them effectively perhaps even a better um, platform than than uh, Fractal for doing it, potentially. And some people have su- suggested, well, they're using AI to do this. Okay. I work in the computer world. And I'm going to tell you right now, you're not using AI that runs off of four shark chips. Okay. Which is essentially what you got going on here. I don't even know if they're using Shark DSP, but um, they're DSP chips. There's nothing AI inside that product. Like that is a that is a buzzword, and 
that's all it is. Yeah. Um. Th- and, and this co- this company, um, uh, this is why I'm bringing this up in regards to Dean. Dean has rebuilt themselves by advertising as we make guitars for these guys. Right. And we've seen other companies doing this. Music Man has been doing it for 20 years. Uh, Fender has started doing it recently. They've been doing it for the last 15 years. Um, and you're starting to see this shift. Even smaller companies like JHS have got several uh, signature stomp boxes. Uh, Walrus did it with uh, Ryan Adams, right? So- signature stomp boxes. And I think getting artist endorsement now has reached critical mass. And the reason I want to bring Neural into this is Neural's marketing hype is like on another level. You go to their website and you look at it and it's like the Apple website. Okay. Yeah. It's white text, black background. It is crazy, like super over edited shots of everything. And it's, you know, these like, this is what our device looks like. And you scroll down the page and things move at different rates. And it's laid out like an Apple web page. And as you get deeper, as you get deeper into it, you see, um, I mean, I honestly, like it just, it it is very much the same kind of like product marketing scheme. And here's where, here's where I start to like cause, cause issue with this. Right. So even at the bottom, they compare it to a 15 inch MacBook pro. Now, they could have yeah. picked anything to compare it to, yeah. size-wise, anything. Like, they could have compared it to a briefcase. They could have compared it to, I mean, literally anything. Um, and they chose a MacBook Pro. Why? Because they want brand identity to match Apple, which is hype. Okay? I, I'm an Apple user. I will be buying another Apple probably early next year. I've said it on the show before. I'm I'm probably going to go back over that over that camp for various reasons, but um, the reason why I bring it up is because I understand the hype machine over there. Like I'm not committed to that hype machine. That hype machine doesn't sell me products. Um, what sells me products is functionality, and so for me, I'm looking at this situation. I'm going, you guys are getting dangerously close to not actually providing the functionality on the same level as your competitors and selling hype. And well, that's partially why I wanted to say, that. but this is, this is my, this is my pushback. And it's the only reason I interrupt you, Jim neural their their um, their actual modeling products for PC. They're all signature products who makes only signature plugins. Now I say that, but it's not they're not all, but most of them, the ones you see advertised, archetype Corey Wong, archetype Abasi, archetype Nolly, um, archetype Pliny. Like it, it it's kind of staggering to me. And I've I've tried some of these in various capacities, and I didn't think they were all that great. Now some people swear by them. They say they're fantastic, and th- of course there's also your biased people and these different other things so I, I don't put a whole lot of stock in that but from my ears they're flat sounding they didn't they didn't have like the sparkle and girth that i would expect to get from you know i don't i that i get from my kemper right um so that's basically what it is hype versus a product well, that delivers if you look at the if you look at the artist roster you just read off every one of them is the hoity-toity of the, the you know they are the macbook pros the iPhone 
11 of their specific genre. Of their yeah. Genres. I mean, you know, you didn't, you didn't mention Carrie King in there, did you? You didn't mention, no. uh, yeah, you didn't mention even Joe Bonamassa in there, did you? I mean, it's, it's like, I don't really even feel like they're looking for name recognition. What did I just turn into, uh, Elmer Fudd? Yeah. Um, I actually think that they're more in line with, like you said, like some sort of level of excellence, right? Because, right. like Corey Wong, like I know who he is, but I don't, I don't. know that everyone knows who he is. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So he's from an up and coming band, but yeah. um, and if you and if you told me, um, anyway. who, what is it, Herman Lee from Dragon Force? I wouldn't have been surprised. But it's like. Um, they're definitely targeting people that, you know, like would would be looking at their product anyway because they're they're right. into the elite of the elite or whatever kind of deal. So like, um, um, uh, I'm trying to think. So, Corey Wong, by the way, is from Wolfpack. In case you didn't you oh, didn't know that, but I know the um, I didn't hear. He's not, uh, and actually, I don't think of them as being this like super sophisticated band that's like in front of everybody, but they're apparently really popular, and I just didn't know how popular they were. Um, so that's that's like the whole other thing, but I definitely see them being like kind of an elitist band in the same way that Fish is kind of an elitist band. Like there are certain people that are connected to that band in a in a very like fan way. Um, and Tosnabasi is like definitely the cream of the crop in the gent in the gent world. Yep. Um, and I definitely see which which I think is funny because I don't really see his music as being as being as gent as people think it is. Um, but there's the bossy, and of course there's also Pliny, who is like they consider him gent as well. And I'm like, he's not really gent. He's like progressive, you know, fusiony stuff. Um, but. Even when you look at these guys and the instruments they're playing, what do you think? What Pliny plays a, a Strandberg, yep. Abashi plays one of his Abashi Concepts guitars. Yep. Um, Corey Wong plays uh, custom shop Strat. You know, um, and I look at their other, um, the other artists on their roster, like Nolly. I don't know enough about him to really comment on him, but um, I, I mean, here's the other names. It's like Rabia Masad. Uh, Nolly Get Good, uh, Victor Brandt, Mike Spreitzer, Dick Lovegren. A lot of these guys are metal guys. Um, Christian Martrucci, Mike Mead, uh, Weed, rather, uh, two, uh, two Madsen, um, Rob Van Derloo, uh, <laughs> here's a, here's a stick player, uh, Abby Clotario. I mean, when you start seeing, like, most of these people are definitely firmly trenched in the metal, like, shred community. They're definitely targeting a certain certain subset, right? And that's – I guess that's really my issue here is like here's a modeling product that's aimed at a specific genre even though they don't want it to be because their artist roster is aimed at a specific genre. Yes, the cream of the crop is a little bit more varied because they have like Corey Wong in there, right? But I feel like the rest of their roster is firmly entrenched in the like let's get the fractal guys on board kind of kind of thing. And – um I, I've had I've had the opportunity to play the FM three now twice, and I thought it was exceptional enough. They they got they can they can put all these features in the quad cortex they want. They got a long road to go because I don't I just don't see their plugins being able to to do what what Fractal is currently doing, especially not for the amount of money. And then of course putting a hardware unit 
like there's more limitations to putting in a hardware unit in my mind. Um, but I, I just laugh because if you look at the buzzwords and we talked about this when they announced this product, the buzzwords are off the charts. If you're terrified of like buzzwords that really don't mean anything, um, resulting in a product that's not as good as they, they say it is like, this is the product that you don't want to buy. Um, because they talk about neural captures and they talk about, um, AI based modeling there's no AI in their modeling. I don't know where that what what kind of crack they're smoking that they think that they're using AI in their modeling. I mean, Microsoft struggles to use AI. They're one of the most capable software development firms on the planet, and they can't roll out AI services. So you're telling me they've got an AI modeling device? Blow it out your ass. Like, that's not what it's doing. They're just using some fancy term to talk about some sort of machine learning process they've come up with that's probably just regurgitating data. I mean, it, I just don't I, – I can't fathom that they're actually delivering on their promises here um, other than to say they have this smaller hardware unit that does what a Helix does, and it might do what an XFX does, um, and it may do some of the stuff that a Kemper does. Um, that's fine. Like, we know those products already exist, but the hype machine here may, wants to make it sound like – we're the new guy on the block, and we're better than everybody else. Well, you know, I've seen this. I saw this when I was a kid. You know what I saw, Jim? And you're going to crack up when I tell you this. It's a Sega Genesis. This wow. right here is a Sega Genesis. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter what's under the hood. The Sega might have been a superior product. It had it had blast processing, remember? Yep. Uh, but at the end of the day, which product sold a lot more units? The Super Nintendo. Yeah. And and, and wh which one are people still buying games for? Super Nintendo. It's about content. But, yeah. um, it, you know, the the thing that they're missing, even if they were, even if, we don't know, even if it was a great product, it's, what, sixteen, seventeen hundred $1,700? $1,700, yeah. no dealers. Same thing yeah. as the Axe Facts. Yeah. And if you're, I mean, I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing that. That's, that's fine. But, what I'm saying is it's seventeen hundred dollars. No, no dealers. No way to try it out. No real stuff. And you've lost this this time frame right here because of everything that's going on. Would have been a perfect time frame for something like this to drop, because yeah, you could you could release content yeah. all day. You could run a, a rep to Anderton's. You could run a rep to uh, Harley Benton's thing there, Tobin. You could run a rep to guitars. I mean, come on. This this would have been a perfect opportunity for marketing to get the hype with a real machine in the hands of some users. They didn't do any if, of that. If I get the opportunity to check this thing out, which is likely, right? At some point, I'm going to see one somewhere. Um, if I get the opportunity to check this check this thing out, I'm willing to bet that it doesn't check the boxes but if it does like i'll be the first one to say you know i'll be looking to sign up do you know what i mean like i'll be yeah. i'll be like okay this is a product that i can use that, that that would fit my needs right a quad cortex man like i i just it's hard for me to look at a product like this and and just 
put any investment into something that's just vaporware. I, I, it's going to come out. I will have the opportunity to try it out. Like I've mentioned already, I will probably get to play it. And I'll probably be the first person. that's like, this thing is really great. But the reality is this, like it's a new player on the scene. Um, I don't understand why people are getting all in a tizzy about it and getting super excited over basically marketing hype from a company that does deliver decent products from, you know, by and large, but like, they're not known for hardware expertise. Um, I just, I have a hard time with like companies that, that market themselves the way that quad cortex does. Well, and it's not just a guitar product thing, but that's part of the reason why I look at spark too. And I said the same thing from, from bias. I was like, this is like a crowdsource thing. Like what the hell is going on here? Um, and quad cortex has like very similar, you know, page layout, like all the neural DSP products do. Um, and I just, I have problems buying this modern marketing aesthetic, especially when it comes to guitar gear. I think, I think we're a much smaller industry and I think the way that you should market to us is more like mom and pop style. Like, let's talk to you. Let's show you the product. Let's go through this process together. Let's handhold you a little bit. Cause there's definitely, um, there's definitely people in our industry who are like not willing to adopt something new. Right. Right. Um, and I see the same kind of marketing going on in pedals. Like pedals are dirt simple. You could do this kind of marketing with pedals and it might actually work. Um, but the problem is people buying pedals are still those people that are like, no, I kind of want to, I kind of want to see Andy from pro guitar shop walk me through it. You know, I want to, I want to watch this in the hands of someone. And yeah. I just don't like, if you're going to do that. So, so neural's doing that. But the videos sound like crap. Um, it's it's as bad as a Mesa Boogie video, and I bitch about Mesa's videos. Well, their videos sound like trash. Yeah, they should have gotten that. They've got Revia Masad on their list. They should have gotten a, gotten one out to Revia, let him do his own demo. Oh, uh, he got to play it at. Uh, didn't you hear? He got to know, play it at Nam. Uh, at Nam. Yeah. And apparently, it was. The bee's knees, even though he was already endorsed by them. Come on. So of course, it first was of all. Be. I don't believe anything I hear that you heard at NAM, because right because it was a plug-in. I mean, let's face it, you don't hear. Well, they had they had headphones, but I mean, I and even if you show up there like early morning, yeah, even if you show up there early morning and it's like quiet in the building, my problem with the Quad Cortex product was they were all tethered down and there was a network cable running in and out of them. I guess that was what I heard. Um, which means that they probably weren't because there's no network cable on the physical device. Right. So it probably means that they were, you were literally just getting patched in audio from a DSP from a PC somewhere or a server that was sitting there on the floor. Um, and if that's the case, like all bets are off. You don't know what the actual end unit is going to sound like. Right. Probably like and, your plugins. And if you're endorsed, you know? if you're endorsed by them, and you're at their booth, you're obviously going to say great things about them. Um, not to say it was bad. I'm just saying that. that... Well, I mean, even um, uh, what's his name? Um, Ola England stopped by the booth and played it, and he said it was good. He was excited by it. But I don't, I don't think I've ever heard Ola review a product where he's like, it's just crap. It's just trash. Right. Um. Because because Ola's been in the game long enough that he knows that like companies are going to have a stinky product once in a while, and you got to maintain that relationship. Um, and he's very much one of those guys that like 
he has a career that he's maintaining at this point. Same thing with like Ryan Burke and some of the other guys. Like I'm not, I wouldn't expect Ryan to come out and say a product's crap, right? But what what Ryan will say is this product is inappropriate for me, right? It's not for or me. inappropriate for you know, what it has uses, but not the uses that I need it for. Um, and maybe to an extent that's true. Like maybe all crappy things really do have some purpose that we're just like, or we don't know how to use it right. Um, but I think the digital products are a little bit different than that because even if you know how to use them right, they got to be able to tick the check boxes that you need. And I think right. it's a lot easier to get out of analog analog guitar gear. Yeah. Oh, I did price out my Kemper the other night. I wanted to see what my whole rig would cost if I was to sell it. Because I was kind of looking at it and I'm like, if the quad cortex does come out and it profiles, I may need to dump my Kemper fast yeah. because I because I will lose my investment. I so will lose the what was your, what several was your thousand rate? dollars, man. Huh? So what'd you come up with? Oh, it's it's right around what I paid for it. Yeah. Um, that's, which, that's pretty much where you're gonna be. Which is which is fine. I just uh like there's no actually there's no rental fee, but um the I don't wanna sell it, but I'm not gonna get into one of those situations where when I do sell it, I'm only gonna get nine hundred bucks. Right, right. Like that's just ridiculous because what I paid, like that's just crazy. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I let's. I got. Um, we're at about an hour and a half, so yeah, yeah, have, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have one more, one more thing I want to talk about here. Sure. So because when we're talking about the neural DSP and we're talking about how you never see a demo that says, "Man, this thing is just crap." I saw a demo this week where they said, "Yeah, this thing is just crap. It's just." Um, what was that? So what was the product? That... It, it won't surprise you, the company. Um, Zoom has come out with a new pedal that's that's supposed to be like a Helix and like um, a Headrush. Um, and uh, Anderton's had a video with it. Uh, it's the new GX11 or something like that. Um, so if you look up the Zoom on... Uh, um, no, I'm going to look. Sweetwater, you'll find it. So it's there. The G1X. That's it. Or G11. The G11. 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 Okay. Yeah. I, I, I said it So the G11. Yeah. So um, the the captain and uh, um, Tennille, uh the captain and Chappers, um, played through it, and they were like, "Oh, this this patch is really good. This is a really good product. Wow, that's really good." It was the first patch. They could not find another patch that sounded good at all. <laughs> and, well, and, they were, and, they're, and they're, they're, but they're, but they're playing patches, Jim. Yeah, I, I mean, know. like that doesn't necessarily mean the product well, sucks. They, tried to, they even tried to dial. No, I mean they were like, oh man, I just, I don't see. It, I, it was the first time I saw the cap and just give up. Like, yeah, this is. It, other well, than the Miku pedal, he, I, <laughs> I think. So so here's here's my my gut take on this not having watched it yet. Yeah. Um so keep that in mind. This is without having watched it. I think any of these products that are like programmable like this that have the amount of features and compatibility things that can happen in them and all that sort of stuff. Yep. Um they're so granular that if you don't know what you're doing, you're not going to get a good sound of it. And so they do not make good demo fodder. No. Like I honestly 
I think pedals, if you're going to, if you're, if you're in the game and you're like, I'm going to do demos for money, um, pedal demos are where it's at because they're super easy to use. Um, and if you're going to do like this kind of stuff, you have to sit down and make 50 or 60 patches that you can run through. And I don't know. I have yet to see a product with stock patches that don't sound like trash. Yeah. I don't um, understand it. So that's why I'm kind of like, I'm looking at this and I'm going, yeah, I mean, I could definitely see um, this thing being kind of gimmicky. Well, it has a touchscreen interface plus knobs, yeah, um, plus look individual stomp boxes on it. And... Yep, um, it's it, interesting, it was... but they're going for usability here for sure. One of, yeah, one of the things was to beat the head rush, even in the in the uh, usability. But anyway, the um, just if you watch the video, you'll see what I mean um, as far as the the GUI. Yeah. Um, but the price point for me. With, with Line 6 just having released the Pod 6 Go, or the Line 6 Pod Go, this thing is not going to be a Pod Go killer. And in our reality, with its inputs, outputs, um, and, and uh, uh, set return, um, it's kind of in the Pod Go category. You know where this thing competes? I'll be honest with you. I think this thing competes with the G1000. Yeah. The GG one thousand from Boss. I think that's really what they're going for here. I don't. I don't think they're aiming at home hobbyists. I think they're aiming at a very specific group of people, like the Head Rush, the GT one thousand kind of crowd. Because this is a, this is like it's an eight hundred dollar product. This is not. This not is not four hundred bucks. Right. Um. But do I think it's going to be successful at this price point? It looks like a toy. I mean, it. It honestly, the red buttons. The goofy looking expression pedal. I don't know if it's trying to be carbon fiber top or whatever. It looks like yeah. a toy. Um, I, I'll tell you this though, the, the last series of zoom modelers that were out didn't sound bad. People liked the way they sounded. Um, there were some questions about build quality. And I don't think they did IRs until this generation. Yeah, this, this is one has something IRs. that said, the ability to but, load IRs. But I believe their unit actually predated the Helix. So do you know what I mean? Like, it could have gone either way. Um, but it also sounds like there's only six hand models in here. So, that's pretty nuts. Um, I don't know. I mean, I just don't... This is for the guitar player that just doesn't want the hassle of having an expensive, like, big rig and they can just plug into their DAW and, and maybe plug into, you know, headphones when they're at home and practicing. This is for... I've always thought Zoom was like the company that you, when you were a beginner and you didn't know what you want, that's what you bought first. You didn't buy Line 6 first. You bought Zoom, and then you learned about it, and then you were like, no, nah, I should have bought Line 6, and then you go over there. Um, and I know that the generation of guitar players that came after me went the other way. They went Line 6 first and then ended up buying other things. But I always felt like Zoom was like attractively priced. This is not an attractive price. This is expensive for what you get. That's like, what I was saying. That's my gut gut feel here. Actually, there's 24, 24 amp models. Six new ones for this unit. Um, and, and again, I, I you know... It's a battery. Yep, I haven't had a chance to no. use it or anything, but um, it just it didn't strike me as, uh, as an $800 pedal. It struck me well, as a $600 pedal. 
so here's the interesting part, right? You can still get the G3XN, which is the previous generation, 220 bucks. Yeah. That's an attractive price. G11, not an attractive price. And the funny part about it is that when you look on Sweetwater's site, who they're comparing it to, the GT1000 and the Headrush, which is what I knew I was going to see because that's what this is aimed to, to compete against. Um, yeah. You got anything to add, Jim? That was a, I just wanted to say that, you know, I was more mentioning the fact that, that there are those demos where you go into it thinking this is going to be great, and then you come out of it going, oh, jeez. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised with a product like this. I have seen demos, so here's the one that I can that comes to mind for me. They're rare, but they do happen. And oddly enough, this is another Anderton's one. The uh, Mesa Cab clone. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that I'm I could be just talking out my ass, so feel free to call me out in the group on this, but the cab clone isn't as bad as people make it out to be. It is bad. It sucks. Uh, but it isn't any worse than a red box. I've been David. I've been Jim. And tonight we've been practical guitarists. Absolutely. <laughs>